Welcome to CBJ in 30, the official podcast of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Here's Bob McElligant. I can't believe it's Monday again already. Can't believe it. Boy, time flies. It's already the week of Thanksgiving. Oh, wait a minute. I work in the NHL. I have to change that. It's already the week of American Thanksgiving. Can you believe it? I mean, it is, it's just rolling by. Just a couple of Mondays ago, we were in Finland, and now Thanksgiving is upon us, and it's going to be the Christmas season, and holy cow, I guess it's true. The older you get, the faster time moves. That's the way I'm looking at it. But uh, anyway, here we are once again. I am here to answer your questions about the Blue Jackets, and boy, I'll tell you, I thought after Saturday's game against the Detroit Red Wings, I thought, oh, boy. Oh, the questions this week, they just, they might be some really, really tough questions. There might be some people that are really upset with the way this team is playing. They might be very disappointed, and and I might hear about it, and I still might, and that's very possible. However, however, that was only game one of two games in the weekend. Boy, did the Blue Jackets ever bounce back nicely last night against the Florida Panthers. You know, it's a funny game. They say that about every sport, right? Ah, it's a funny game. It's funny how things work. But the Blue Jackets had points in four straight games going into that game with Detroit. They were sitting in a good position, meaning that they are in the midst of a homestand. The Red Wings had just traveled to California two days prior to that game. They had played the San Jose Sharks. They had to fly in uh, the day before the game against the Blue Jackets. Everything was set up for the Blue Jackets to be in a really good spot to have an advantage over Detroit. Really good spot. And then what happened? Yeah, then we had to play the game. And the Blue Jackets started to turn the puck over. And then they turned it over again. Then they turned it over again. And they just kept feeding into the Detroit Red Wings, who are, by the way, a much more improved team than they were for the last couple of years. Steve Eiserman went out this summer, and he went shopping. And he picked up free agents, and he added them to that team, and they are more formidable right now. Are they a playoff team? I don't know if that's the case yet, but they're a much better team than they have been the last couple of years, without question. So they're a team that uh, they got veteran players. They signed a lot of veteran players uh, during the summer, and now they, they're just more experienced. And when you make mistakes, if you're a young team, which the Blue Jackets are, And if you're a young team that's going up against them and you start to make mistakes, well, that veteran team is going to turn those mistakes right back on you. And it's it's going to be very tough. And that's what happened to the Blue Jackets. It was a one-to-nothing game going into the second period. 43 seconds into the second period, Emil Bemstrom gets a goal, and it looks like, all right, there we go. Settled down, ready to go, perfect. Far from perfect. The Red Wings ripped off five in a row after that. They won the game 6-1. to one. Sold out building on a Saturday night, and you come away not just empty-handed, but really beaten in that game. That's what the Blue Jackets were. They were beaten in that game on Saturday night. And you leave the building, and I'll be guilty. I'll, I'll admit to being guilty of this. You leave the building Saturday, and you're thinking to yourself, if they just got beaten up by the Detroit Red Wings 6-1, to one, What's going to happen when the Florida Panthers come to town tomorrow? What the heck is going to happen against the Florida Panthers team that can be a prolific scoring team? And the Florida Panthers had played on Saturday night at home. 
They had gone into a shootout against the Calgary Flames. They lost that game to Calgary. Then they went right to the airport in Fort Lauderdale, and they got on a plane, and they flew the two hours to Columbus. It's not an ideal schedule, but when you have a team that's doing that, and you're the team that's sitting at home and waiting, if you will, those are there are points on the schedule where you need to take advantage of other teams. The Detroit game was one of them. As I said, they were coming in from San Jose. That's one where you look at it and you say, okay, this this is an advantage to us. We're at home. They've been traveling. They've got to come all the way across the country. This is something we have to take advantage of. And they didn't on Saturday night. They didn't. But they sure did last night. And the Panthers, they kind of did what they've been doing as of late. It's been an up-and-down start to the season for them. I'll tell you this story. I told it during the broadcast last night. Randy Moeller is the color analyst for the Florida Panthers on their TV broadcast. And he said to me yesterday morning, he goes, watch what happens as this game goes on. He goes, the first period will end, and we'll outshoot you guys 18-3 to three or 4, something like that. And then in the second period, we'll be down by a goal. Well, it didn't work quite that way. I mean, they did shoot the lights out throughout the entire game. I think they wound up with 50 when it was all said and done. But they did outshoot the Blue Jackets by a bunch in the first period, but they had the lead. Florida got on the board first. They were up one to nothing. But then the Blue Jackets came back and tied the game at one. And then they did one better. The Blue Jackets took the lead, and they went up by the score of two to one. And then in the second period, the Florida Panthers were able to get some good sustained pressure inside of the Blue Jacket zone, and they tie the game, and it's 2-2. And the second intermission came, and I said this. I, I said, look, you're in a good spot here. You're at home. The game is tied at two. It's the second game of a back-to-back. You're fine. And I said, what they've got to do in the third period is they've got to spend more time in the Florida end, and they have to quit letting the Panthers spend so much time in their end. And lo and behold, that's what they did. And they got the spark they needed from the penalty killers in general. More specifically, Sean Corrali. As Corrali had another big game for the Blue Jackets. His goal, a shorthanded goal, put the Blue Jackets up by the score of 3-2. to two. And then you could just see belief. Because at that point, you could just see the team really get a lift. And now they're saying to themselves, okay, let's lock this thing down. And then they're able to go up by another one. And now they now you've got a, a mulligan there, right? Now you can make a mistake, and it's still only a one-goal game. All right, let's go. And they did. They, they ground it out. They just grinded it right out against the Florida Panthers, and they got the win. And, and it was impressive. It was really, really impressive. To me, it was a team win. Two power play goals, one shorthanded goal. I did say two power play goals. Did you hear that right? You don't need to adjust your hearing. Uh, your, you don't have to adjust your AirPods, anything. I, I said it, and it's, it's true. Two power play goals in the same game. For a power play that is slowly and very quietly coming to life, and, and the reason it's slowly and quietly coming to life is because they're still not getting a lot of power play chances, but now they're starting to capitalize on those power play chances that they're getting. So the special teams was fantastic. And even better than the special teams overall was the goaltender, Daniil Tarasov. 
I just felt like he was so locked in last night. He was so calm in the way that he made saves. Was every save perfect? No. Were there rebounds? Yeah. But his teammates battled for him. He did a great job. I thought he shut down the game when he had to shut it down. There was a play in the second period where the top line to the Panthers was out there, and, and Alexander Barkov fed Sam Reinhardt for a one-timer, and Tarasov just very simply just went sliding across the crease and caught the puck, and the play was over. It, just like that, boom, over. What looked like it was going to be a great scoring chance, when the pass was coming off the stick and headed toward Reinhardt, I thought, uh-oh, and in a flash, it was over. It was done. And it was so fun to watch him play last night. It was even more fun for me to go into the dressing room after the game last night when Daniil Tarasov was asked about playing against Sergei Bobrovsky. And it was really, really special for him. Because Sergei Bobrovsky, as the story goes, was a fan of Daniil Tarasov's father when he played, when he played pro in Russia. And then Daniil Tarasov, of course, very much knows Sergei Bobrovsky from the same town. So he knows him, and he knows what he's done, and he got to play against him last night, and he beat him. He beat him in a head-to-head. The goaltenders don't score the goals. I get it. But you got to be on your game. And I'm not saying Bob played a bad game last night. You know, he was – I thought he was fine. But I thought Daniil Tarasov was better. And the Blue Jackets win the game because of his better play and because they capitalize on their special teams. And it was impressive. I was very impressed with that win last night. As disappointed as I was about the Saturday night loss, I was equally as pleased and impressed with the win that the Blue Jackets pulled off last night against the Florida Panthers. Because let me tell you something. This schedule is not going to get easier. I don't care what it looks like. It's not going to get easier. It's it's a busy schedule. It's going to get even busier. The Blue Jackets have today off. Tomorrow's a practice day. They play on Wednesday, and that's going to be the start of three games in four days. And one of those games will be on the road. So they've got Montreal here on Wednesday. They play at home again on Friday. Go to Nashville on Saturday. It's going to be busy, and it's going to get tough. You know, the Philadelphias of the world, the Montreals of the world, the the teams that didn't make the playoffs last year and the teams that are struggling to figure out who they are this year, just like the Blue Jackets. Let's be honest. You know, you look at Philly and you go, ah, they're having a down year. You look at Montreal, ah, they're having a down year. Well, you're having a down year too. But again, take advantage. If you feel that you're better than that, then you got to take advantage against those teams. But the Phillies, the Montreals, those are going away. And you're going to start to get some better caliber teams, teams with a better recent track record, let's put it that way, than uh, those teams. So you got to be on your A game every night. And you've got a lot of young kids right now, and they're getting experience, and that's great. But they are learning on the fly. And it is uh, the old proverbial baptism by fire for some of these guys. Marcus Bjork jumps to my mind when I say that. Because here's a guy that, Two weeks ago, was running the number one power play for the Cleveland Monsters. A Swede who had spent just a, a brief amount of time in North America, in the USHL, before he went back home, and now he's back over here again, and lo and behold, he's in the National Hockey League. He's playing against some of the best players in the world, and it's a big jump. 
Baptism by fire. That's what these guys are getting. So it was great last night. It was fun last night. Enjoy it today. Enjoy it tomorrow. And then it's back to work on Wednesday for the Blue Jackets. It's really just that simple. If you're with me live on Twitter Spaces today, you can request to be a speaker. I can bring you in, and you can ask me your question. Uh, if you have already sent me a question via Twitter at Bobby Mac Sports, I will get to that. Uh, maybe you've emailed me, Bobby Mac at BlueJackets.com. Uh, I will check all three of these sources and get to your questions just like I'm about to do right now. Let's bring Donald on board. He is live on Twitter Spaces. Hello, Donald. Oh, Donald, you have to unmute. I thought you were unmuted, but you weren't unmuted. Now you are. Go ahead. I am. Go ahead. (laughs) Sorry about that. How are you doing? Good to talk to you. Yeah, I'm doing well. Awesome. Well, I think, you know, a lot of the fan base is starting to get vibes from a few years back when we had all those injuries and we became the Columbus Monsters. And, you know, those were kind of some good times seeing those guys step up and we're seeing that again. I'm just like, I guess, how many times do we have to go through this before we can, like, move forward? And I know you can't control injuries, but, like, it's good for these younger guys to come up and get some experience. But then when the new, when the, when the veterans come back in after their injuries, like, are they going to take it as like a fire under their butts to like step up like the young guys did and play desperate like the young guys have? Or like, I guess the question is about chemistry. Like with, with the roster changes, we're, we're doing good now. We're playing desperate right now. But do we maintain that when the guys come back? Well, they have to maintain that. I mean, there is, um, you know, first of all, they'll be glad to be back because there's a lot of them that are going to be sitting out for a long time before they get a chance to come back and play. And while they are out, they're watching this. And I know they're watching it because I saw sev- several of them in the press box the last couple of games. They're watching this. They're watching what's going on. And they know that this is the level of expectation, which, oh, by the way, is no different than the level of expectation that was there from the very start of the season. But they're out. They're watching these guys play, and they're watching these guys play at that level and and with that desperation and, and with that chemistry that you were just talking about. So there, there's not going to be a choice. And when you talk about the guys that are going to come back, let's let's just uh, put it out there. You've got uh, Nick Blankenburn. Uh, he, he's got the uh, ankle, the high ankle sprain and the ankle fracture. Well, it's not like Nick Blankenberg has played 14 years in the National Hockey League. He's played about three minutes in the NHL. And so he's got to come back. When he comes back, he's got to play with that same passion that he was before and the uh, the same as the guys are playing with now. Adam Boquist, he's been hurt. He was hurt last year for a long stretch. He's hurt again for a long stretch. He's a young guy. He's still looking to find his place on the blue line. He's sitting up there watching guys like Marcus Bjork come in and run the first power play unit. And you've got to know that, look, there are other guys auditioning for my job right now. When I get a chance to play, I've got to come back and I've got to play at a high level and I've got to play with urgency. Um, you know, a, a Jake Voracek to come back into the lineup, you know, he, he does it. He's got that 14 years that he can, uh, you know, look back on and you know what you're going to get in him. But that doesn't mean he's not going to play that way because, He's a winner. He likes to win, so he's going to play hard to win. So I, there's no, I have, um, I have zero concerns, Donald, that anything will change when guys come back into the lineup. Uh, you know, even Patrick Line. If you're Patrick Line and you're watching, uh, I'm just going to say it because I have some questions here. If you're watching Kent Johnson when he's on the ice with Johnny Gaudreau, <laughs> yeah, I think I want to get back. 
and reclaim my spot. You know what I mean? So I, I don't, I don't have any concerns about that. Yeah. I, I, I hope you're right. Um, there's just that desperation that you can't, you can't match it, you know? And I think all of our expectations, although probably higher in Columbus than the rest of the country, we, we hoped the best for this team with the Goudreau signing and having line a coming back fresh. So I think, I don't know, you know, player psychology is a funny thing and torts always had good comments about that, but the, the expectations coming in and then, then where they are now, I feel like we can only go up and, and we've got nothing to, nothing to lose at this point, you know? Torch did have good comments on that, and some of those words were more than four letters, which was surprising. <laughs> uh, not surprising, but... <laughs> but uh, no, I, yeah, I appreciate you, Bob. Always yep. appreciate the content. Thank you, Donald. I appreciate uh, you coming on today with me. And, uh, yeah, there's there's no... I would... I would I would waste exactly zero seconds worrying about any of that stuff, quite frankly. And plus, it's it's going to be so long until those guys are back. I mean, we're going to have a lot more conversations before any of those guys are even back in the lineup, unfortunately, because it's going to be great when you start to get some of your more established guys back in there. Sean, you are next up today on uh, this Monday mailbag. Great to have you on, Sean. Good afternoon, Bob. Thank you so much for uh, for doing this. Um this was uh, my last uh, first game since Finland was uh, last night and um, didn't really know what to expect, but lo and behold, um, kind of like what I saw overall. I'd like to ask you two questions. You kind of touched on it a little bit there about Marcus Bjork. He's kind of giving me Andrew Peak uh, vibes from last year where due to circumstances, Andrew Peak was kind of, you know, asked to take over top line minutes, um, you know, play a very difficult position as a right-hand defenseman, uh, potentially on the top line. So what are you seeing from Marcus Bork? I know it's a pretty small uh, portion size, but what are you seeing how he's stacking up physically? How is he holding his own um, on the boards and things like that, winning individual battles? And then second thing quickly, if I can touch on it, is uh, Cole Stillinger. He has more penalty minutes than points this year. That is a guy that I'm really looking forward to um, was was looking forward to kind of make that jump that Ken Johnson has made in the last uh, week or so. But what are you seeing from him? Thanks, Bob. Well, I see him. Uh, thank you, Sean. I, I see him being better. Cole Sillinger, he's, uh, he's, he's starting to become the guy that he was last year right now. Um, you know, he's gotten a couple of goals here recently. Got He's got, what, two goals in the, in the past week. Um, he's never – see, to me, even though he wasn't scoring the goals – he hasn't really been a big-time liability. And that's why he's still in the lineup. Let's be honest about it, because Jack Roslovic started to be a liability at times, and he got taken out of the lineup. And and uh, now he's he's been ill the last couple of games, and that's why he hasn't played. But uh, I'm just saying Cole Sillinger stayed in the lineup, and I know he's a centerman, and that's a position of weakness, if you want to say that, on this team. And when I say weakness, I just mean they're not deep at that position. So if you're going to take him out, who's going to go in? Brendan Gauntz has come up here, by the way, just to kind of do a little sidebar on that. I think Brendan Gauntz has done a really nice job coming up here from Cleveland and giving the Blue Jackets another guy that can play center, that can win draws. He's a big body guy. I like his game so much better right now than I did last year. I, last year, he disappointed me because with his size and the way that uh, he can play, Last year, I kept waiting for him to take a spot because it was all right there for him. A big guy. He's a former first-round pick of the Vancouver Canucks. It's not like he you know, is uh, some 
guy that just uh, came out of nowhere. And I kept waiting for him to play at a certain level to to grab a spot, to make something for himself. And, and he didn't do it. He just didn't do it. And I didn't know if they would re-sign him or not, but thankfully they did. And he goes to Cleveland, and he's playing really well in Cleveland. Now they bring him up, and he's, he's contributing in a really good way. So kudos to him for doing that. So, again, my point is, you know, Cole was – I think Cole has been fine. He hasn't done anything to get himself out of the lineup. He's starting to get his points now. Um, his game is finally starting to come back around. And he's been frustrated, and he's 19 years old. I think he's handled it extremely well for his age. I always talk about how mature he is for his age. But, you know, he could have he could have folded the tent here weeks ago and been a basket case when it comes to worrying about why am I not getting this and why am I not doing that. And, but he didn't. He just kept on playing. And so now I think that uh, that he's playing very well. Uh, Marcus Bjork, it is a small sample size on him. Uh, when it comes to his physical play, the good thing about Marcus is he is a big-bodied guy. You know, he's not like a Nick Blankenberg where he's a small guy and he's trying to you know, Blankenberg you know, sometimes has to play at such a high level and he throws his body around uh, because he's outsized. Marcus Bjork, that's not the thing. He is not outsized. He's a big guy. So um, on the board, I think, he, I think his play has been fine. And on the boards and stuff like that, it, it, you know, the other night against Detroit, he makes a mistake and it comes out of the corner where he's, he's trying to make a, a pass that probably, well, not probably, he shouldn't have tried to make because the puck winds up right between the circles and uh, Hronik put it uh, with a slap shot into the net. And uh, and it was a big goal because that really got uh, Detroit propelled to take off and, and get more goals from there. So um, he's learning how to play the game in this league at this speed. Uh, but again, you one of the many cliches, you cannot teach size. Marcus Bjork has the size. I think he's doing all right uh, on the boards. He's doing fine. He'll get better. He'll get better because you've got to learn not just the speed, but there are angles that you have to take on guys. And, um, you know, once you're around the league for a sustained period of time and you start playing the same players again and again and again, you know what their tendencies are. You know what they like to do. Uh, you know, you look at uh, Johnny Gaudreau. What? What is every team trying to do to Johnny Gaudreau? They're trying to pin him against the boards as fast as they can. You know, if they could get him, they send two guys at him and try to get him pinned uh, right away. And, and he still finds a way to get to the middle or get the puck off his stick and then get to the middle so somebody else can give it back to him. So that players have tendencies, and the longer you're in the league, you start to figure those things out. And that's what will happen with Marcus is – the longer he's here, the more he's going to learn. The more he learns, the better he's going to be. Um, you know, I've liked him. I've liked him. It's it's good that there is that depth, right? David Yurchek could be up here. First pick by the Blue Jackets last summer, sixth overall. He could be up here, and he's not, and I think that's a good thing. I think he needs to be in Cleveland where he can develop. The other night he had two goals. He needs to be there and get that confidence. He doesn't need to be learning on the fly here in the situation this team is in right now. He's going to be better off in the long run for where he is. But for Marcus Bjork, he's a little bit older, and he gets to do his development here in the National Hockey League. And the fact that you have a guy like that and you have some depth at that position, you're able to do that, not rush your top defensive prospect. So it's all good to me. It is good all around. And uh, 
you know, you're it's the situation again is not ideal. You'd much rather Marcus Bjork is playing in the American Hockey League and uh, Zach Wierenski or Adam Boquist is playing here, but that's not the situation that you're in right now. So you got to play the hand that you're dealt, and right now the hand that the Blue Jackets are playing is uh, one that has Marcus Bjork here in the National Hockey League. All right, what uh, I got a couple of directions I can go here. Let me go to Lauren. Lauren sent me an email question, and I'm going to go with that one right now. Hey, Bobby Mack, it's Lauren from Florida. Today, my question has to do with the center position because I know that's been a big topic of conversation over the years, getting a really good person in that spot, or maybe two. And I'm curious if you could pick from anyone in the league, you know, in present day, not ever, but anyone in the league right now, who would it be and why? Because I would like to know more about what we need, you know, as far as not just you know, being a great athlete, but also fitting in well in the locker room. So they need to be a good person. And, you know, being someone that could work well with the current pieces that we have, is there anything in particular that we need to be considering with, you know, someone that would go between line A and Gaudreau or our other lines? So thank you for taking my question, Bob. I hope you're having a great day, and I look forward to your answer. All right, Lauren, thank you very much. This is the simplest question I'll ever be asked. Because if you're saying you could pick anybody in the league or you could pick any present-day player right now and you can have that's a center that you want to have on your team, Connor McDavid. Oh, he's not available? Sidney Crosby. Two best players in the world at that position especially. So those are no-brainers. And and this whole good in the locker room stuff with other guys, and I know we talk about it and, you know, teams got to like each other and this and that. I'll just tell you this. This is this is my opinion. If you get a guy that maybe isn't the nicest guy, the greatest guy, but he really has a lot of talent, if he's a jerk that can help you win as a team, then you just put up with it. Okay? Simple as that. There have been some guys here that fit that category. I'm not going to tell you who they are. You probably know. There have been some guys here that have been in that category. Not great people that I necessarily want to hang out with all the time, but very good players and made the team better. That's the bottom line. Sure, you want to get a good guy. And Crosby and McDavid would fit that bill. Sure, you want to get a good guy. You want to get somebody everybody likes. You want to get somebody that everybody wants to hang with. But if that's not possible and you have some jerk that's going to help you win a Stanley Cup, I'd sign the jerk. Simple as that. But anyway, Lauren, that's, as I said, that's the the easiest question that I could get asked uh, at the center position, those two guys. Now, beyond that, you know, it gets dicey beyond that because there's a lot of good centermen in the league, but there's there's those two are, are elite. So I would take the elite first. Does that make me an elitist? I don't know. Kevin is live on Twitter Spaces with me today on this Monday Mailbag. So, Kevin, welcome to the show. Hi, Bob. Thanks a lot. Thanks for taking my question. Um, first of all, really happy with the win last night. It was a gritty performance, and I'm happy that uh, we found a way to win the game. So that's the bottom line. But um, for Ken Johnson's power play goal, I was actually just so happy seeing it. And also, speaking of Bjork, I thought he made a great play to keep it in, and he deserved that assist on that goal. So I was just wondering, when Liney comes back, do you think that Ken Johnson, given his 
how good he looks on the power play. He can keep his position on the first power play unit. Thanks a lot, Bob. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, can he keep it? Yes. Will he keep it? I don't know. Should he keep it? I vote yes. So that I think I just covered everything on that. But I'm glad you brought that up about uh, Marcus Bjork. He did make he made a great play on the blue line to keep that puck in the zone. And if it comes outside of there, then that's over. But the thing that really surprised me about Kent Johnson's goal is Kent Johnson shot the puck. And I don't mean that as a knock on him. He is such a good passer, and he's looking to pass. And when you're out there with Johnny Gaudreau and Boone Jenner, yeah, you probably want to pass to those guys. But, you know, Kent, he I felt he took a, a quick look around, and he said, you know what? Nah, this is not the passing situation right here. This is definitely the shooting situation. And he did shoot it, and Boone had a – a uh, beautiful screen in front of Sergei Bobrovsky, and the puck goes in the net. It was such a good screen that they initially gave Boone Jenner, well, no, they gave it to Kent Johnson. They took it back and gave it to Boone Jenner, and then after the game, they gave it back to Kent Johnson. But it was a uh, it was a really good job, really good job by uh, Boone Jenner. And he's so good at that, right? He's so good at getting in front of that goaltender and taking his eyes away. And that's what he did on that goal. So it was uh, it was great. So, all right. Speaking of Kent Johnson, I've got some questions via Twitter about Kent Johnson. First, I want to get to this one. Sean Coppins says uh, Jody mentioned that the Corrali and Robinson line was the quote identity line. What does he mean? And can you provide examples of identities around the league? What he means by that, Sean, is that they go out there and they do the same thing every time. You know what you're going to get with Sean Corrali, Eric Robinson, Matthew Olivier. And what you're going to get first and foremost is hard work. And that's what the Blue Jackets' identity is. That's why he calls them the identity line. Hard work every time that they are on the ice. So you're going to get that. Then uh, you're going to get guys that are skating in straight lines. They're, they don't spend a lot of time going laterally across the rink. They are up and down. Let's go. Goal line to goal line. That's the way they skate. So that is the Blue Jackets' identity. That's what they want to be as a team. When you look at that line and the way they work and the way they play, that's what the Blue Jackets want to be. Do they have the skill of a Johnny Gaudreau or a Kent Johnson? No, they don't. But they have so many intangibles. And and they're coming up with big goals, especially Corrali. Again, last night, the shorthanded goal that puts the Blue Jackets on top three to two. Big goals, timely goals. To me, when he's carrying that puck and he's coming up the ice. It was a little bit different than the one that he got against Montreal uh, where he powered through two defenders, but it was similar in some ways. Like the one that he got against Montreal, he's coming up the ice. Eric Robinson's going to the bench because they're at the end of the shift, and Robinson, as he's coming by the bench, he's bailing. He's done, which he should have been. I'm not knocking him. That was That's the right play. Shift is over. I'm out of gas. I'm right here. Boom, I'm out. And Corrali just kept coming. I thought he was going to dump the puck from the blue line because he was at the end of his shift and because he, too, had to be tired. And then he reached down and he found another gear. And he chips the puck through him and he goes through those guys and he winds up scoring a goal. Last night was similar, except that he had Robinson on his right side. And it's another play, though, and you're shorthanded. So you can easily, if you step up there and you feel there's any opposition at that blue line, you can dump the puck. You can send it in. You can wind time off the power play. You don't have to, you know, go crazy and, and make something happen right there. So 
he kept carrying it. And then, you know, Robinson gets it and shoots toward the net. The Blue Jackets get the bounce. They get the goal. Yada, yada, yada. And you go on to win the game. But that's why he calls them the identity line, because that's what the Blue Jackets want to be. To me, I, I think another great identity line, and somebody else asked me here, um, who else asked me if I think that they're the best fourth line in the league right now? I know I have that question here somewhere. Um, but anyway, and when I find – when I I scroll through and find it here, I'll, I'll say who asked it to me. But I think – I mean, I haven't seen every fourth line in the league right now. they got to be right up there. They have to be up there. Um, when I think of fourth lines and identity lines, I think the New York Islanders – and these guys are starting to fall off a little bit now because they're getting older, but – Casey Sezikis in between Matt Martin and Kyle Clutterbuck. I mean, those guys, they still play together. We just saw it two weeks ago or a week ago, whatever it was. All these days run together on me now. But they still play together, but they're getting older and they're they're not as sharp as they were a couple of years ago. Now I say that, and the next time we play them, they'll be dynamic. But you always know when they're on the ice, you're going to get hit. They're going to play hard. They're going to come right to the net all that stuff. So um, that's what you want out of that line. It's a four-line league. You want all of your lines to give you the opportunity to score. The Blue Jackets' fourth line does that. And they also, um, you know, they they also play hard. Now, that Islander line I was talking about, there's a couple of those guys that are more apt to fight because at least two of them will fight. You know, the Blue Jackets have Olivier, not the Corrali or Robinson wouldn't, but they've got Olivier, and that's part of his job. That's why they got him. So uh, they let him go and do that. But I, I think they're doing a really, really good job. They're, they've earned the trust of the coach. They're getting a lot of minutes, and the trust is all you want as a player. You want the trust so you can get the opportunity, and that's what those guys are doing right now. All right, let's get to this stuff about Kent Johnson because I want to get through this. Um, Mark Corral says... What a roller coaster of a weekend. Johnny and Johnson. I don't recall seeing such amazing puck handling and passing ability like those two on any Blue Jackets team. Do you remember seeing anybody as dynamic? Uh, Johnson is going to be a force if he puts on 10 or so more pounds. Panarin, when he was here, he was pretty good with uh, Dubois and Atkinson. I think he was pretty good. Uh, but I understand what you're saying here. The way that both of those guys see the game and the way they both handle the puck, I think the best is yet to come on that. Morgan Ben says um, he's got a couple of things here, but the Kent Johnson thing's part of this. First question, Morgan says, uh, any news on Jack Roslevic? Now, as far as I know, he's still ill, and that's why he didn't play. Uh, then he says, how can we argue for Kent Johnson on the top line, and do you think that it's a good matchup? When Patrick Line comes back, should he be on a different line than Johnny Hockey, and with whom? Um... I'm going to stop right there for that. So, Emil Bemstrom, last couple of games, Emil Bemstrom has started. No, I shouldn't say that. That's that's not that's factually incorrect. Prior to last night, Emil Bemstrom started on the top line for a couple of games with Johnny Gaudreau and Boone Jenner. By the end of the game against Detroit, Gus Nyquist was there. Gus started in that spot yesterday as well. Okay. Where we've seen Kent Johnson and Johnny Gaudreau on the ice together, the most is on the power play. But, boy, when we've seen them out there together, it's been some kind of special, hasn't it? 
Here's how special it has been. I've got a couple of quotes from Brad Larson. A couple of bites of my conversations with Brad Larson. And the first one was uh, the game against, uh, who did we play Thursday, Montreal, right? So this would have been coming off the Philly game and playing against Montreal when I talked to Brad Larson about Kent Johnson. So this is part one of two, okay? Listen to this. Kent, you've kind of bounced him around like you're looking for a place for him to fit into this lineup right now. When you see something like that, do you have any more thoughts of trying to get him on the ice more with Johnny Gaudreau ever? Patience. That's what I keep telling everybody. Patience. It's his first year, and, you know, you've got to be really careful. And in, in, in within the game, there's matchups, there's different things, there's other lines that are going. Um, so a, a guy like KJ, he's going to be a tremendous player. Um, you know, you, sometimes with these guys, if you give them too much too early against the wrong people, you can really – you could really hurt a kid's confidence right away. I, I think he's done a lot of good things. Uh, there's a, tr- a lot of room to grow for him. He just he, He's still young. He's got to get stronger. He's, there's areas of his game. But you can see with the puck, um, he's very confident with the puck. He makes great plays. That, that goal is a great uh, indicator of what he can do. He puts it through the guy's skates to Johnny. Johnny goes back door. So, you know, there's, there's lots of good, positive signs. It's just patience. It's, he's, you know, we're not four years into his career. I think we're, we're less than... Uh, 10 or 12 games, I think, in his career, wherever he's at right now. So just, I think he's a guy who's who's trending the right way, and that's what we need him to do. So that was the answer prior to the Detroit game on Saturday. Coming off the Montreal game was very Mr. Miyagi-like there, wasn't it? Patience. Patience, Daniel-san. Kent Johnson will be good player. Okay. So that, that was the answer on that. Now, after... He has another good game. <laughs> I go back to Brad Larson before the game against Detroit. I just wanted to get a little bit more clarification. So here's what he said on Saturday. We talked just a couple of days ago about Kent Johnson. You told me, have patience. You don't need to get him on that top line. By the third period, he was on the top line, and he helped to set up a goal for you. But uh, today, you had him this morning right back uh, down in the lineup once again. A lot of factors, I know. How much of the factors are when you're on that top line, you know for sure you're going to get the best defensive players on the other side that you're going to have to battle against? Yeah, you got to understand who you're playing against. It's it's not just, you know, KJ's got a real good uh, knack with the puck and his ability to make plays. You know, he makes a tremendous play on the goal uh, for the Jenner goal. Um, but, you know, there's there's lots of things that we have to factor into that. And I'm not saying he doesn't get back there again tonight. And it's not a punishment going back to where he was at. Everybody overthinks a lot of things here. You know what? Uh, Bemstrom's going to uh, start there again. He, I didn't like his first two periods, or as good as he can play in my eyes. But, you know, it, he's been around a lot longer, and he's put in some more time, and he's, he's done a lot of good things there down in the minors. and come back. He had a good first game, maybe slipped a little bit. But I want to take a look with him, you know, and, and, you know, he's a guy who can finish, and we know that. You know, you get to play with a guy like uh, uh, Johnny Goudreau, it, it it only takes one or two chances. All of a sudden, he's got a couple goals, and his confidence is sky high. So, again, nothing set in stone here right now. We'll see what it looks like here, and, and uh, we'll go from there. But i got to ask you when, you, when you talk about that, one guy being a finisher, Johnny likes to pass the puck a lot. Not that he can't score because we've seen it, but he likes to pass the puck a lot. So do you, you prefer trying to find somebody that likes to shoot on that other side? Yeah, it makes sense, right? A guy who likes to pass, you want someone who likes to finish. And uh, it, it could be a really good combination if uh, – you know, if all things are, are going the right way. All right, so there's there, that breaks it down. I, what else do I have to say to you? I mean, that's right from the coach. 
He wants somebody that's uh, he wants to put a shooter with a passer, and that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. But yet, when they wind up on the ice together, it seems like some magical things happen, and that's why we all ask the questions. So uh, you ask the question, same questions that I did, and that's the answer from uh, from Brad Larson, right there. So I hope that answers all of your questions about Kent Johnson. Look, I think it's going to happen at some point. You know, you heard what he said about Bemstrom. Uh, he's put his time in a little bit here. And maybe that rubs you the wrong way. And it, it can for me in some ways. But in other ways, I get it. I understand. I mean, you know, I put in a lot of years at my job, and then some guy comes in out of nowhere, and they just start giving him everything. And, uh, you know, I would – even if he's more talented than me, I'd still be pissed, right? But, <laughs> I mean, let me, let me work my way out of the job before you just put this guy in the job. And and you can argue that maybe Bemstrom's worked his way out of that job because Nyquist was on that line. And if you looked at the game last night, by the time it was over, um, Bemstrom was on a line with Brendan Gauntz and Trey Fix-Wolanski, and they really didn't play much in the third period. Kent Johnson had gotten up there with Cole Sillinger and Igor Chinikov. It was playing with them. And, oh, by the way, I like that. I really do like that. Sillinger and, uh, and Chinikov are already uh, forming a really good chemistry between the two of them. And I don't mind Kent Johnson being on on that, uh, that line at all. Not at all. What else do I have here? Question from Jody. She says, Hockey 101 question. I notice players tend to wait for the puck when it's uh, hit around the boards. Do they do this because the puck could change angles? Thanks, and have a great Thanksgiving. Well, thank you for that, Jody. You have a good Thanksgiving, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're just you're looking to set up a play, and uh, when it's coming around the boards, usually if you're standing out at the point, you're already surveying what's going on before the puck gets to you, right? Your head's already up, and you're already looking at how the other team is defending when this puck gets to my stick, where am I going to go with it? Am I going to make the pass? Am I going to shoot the puck? Am I going to skate with the puck? Um, I mean, yeah, it could it could take a weird hop off the boards, but uh, you're usually just standing still because the play is you're waiting for it to get to you. Well, you're taking the time to survey the situation before it gets to you, and so you can uh, decide what you're going to do with it. Siebes says, in your opinion, will Vladislav Gavrikov be a Blue Jacket next year? Here's my my answer is I hope so. And to follow that up, I'm not sure. Uh, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Um, I, I think they would like to sign him, but it seems like nothing is moving in that direction. When it comes to the trade deadline, if you're a team that's not going to be in the playoffs, is well, that would be a player that would be very attractive to a lot of playoff teams. So maybe you see... You know, which you if you get a good offer, I mean, you know, I was already quoting movies. It'd be like The Godfather. If you get an offer you can't refuse, then you got to do something with that. But I, I hope they figure it out. I really do. I think he's a, he's a great guy. I know I told you earlier that I'd take a jerk that can help win, but this guy's a great guy, and he helps you win. And, uh, you know, I think he, he's really developed into a, a good defensive Defenseman. Oh, here's that question. That that was Kyle that asked me if uh, I thought that the Blue Jackets have one of the best fourth lines in the league. So, yeah, I went over that. But, uh, Kyle, I want to recognize you for asking that question. A good question that it was. All right. Uh, let's see here. I've got a 
This comes in from Brad. He says, Elliot Friedman has commented about the Blue Jackets having interest in Bo Horvat from Vancouver. Any truth to that? Of course, we need centermen, but interested uh, how adding Horvat long-term and for a lot of money would coincide with this retool. I don't know if there's truth in that or not. I know I heard Elliot talking about that. Um, you know, he's obviously he's a, he's a good centerman, but he does need a contract. And uh, I, th- I don't know, if, was it Elliot that said it would probably take a sign and trade or somebody else I heard that, that, that that's probably what it would take to get it done. Anyway, um, I, I don't know. And signing him to big money, you know, you got a lot of big money guys. You're, and I would say you're looking for somebody to play with Johnny Gaudreau, but doggone it, he and Boone Jenner are starting to look pretty good together. Uh, I would have to see what uh, what I would have to give up to get Bo Horvat. Like I, I saw some things where it was like David Yurichek and something else, and or even a Kent Johnson, and I'm just I personally I turn up my nose at that. I don't want to hear anything about those guys in particular. Um, you know, I, David Yurichek and Kent Johnson for Connor McDavid, sure, absolutely, never happened, but. Um, you know, I I don't I don't know. I'm I'm a lukewarm Bo Horvat guy. I just I'm not saying he's not a good player, but I, here I tend to evaluate things, I guess, in many ways by what I see when you go head to head with the team that another player is on. And we only play Vancouver two times a year, and uh, you know, to me, I know he's solid. Jump off the page to me, a, a must have guy to me. No. No, but that's me, you know. Um, do you need to upgrade at that position? Yeah, I still think you do. At Roslevic, even before he was sick, he was he was out. He was healthy, scratched. Um, you know, he's got a – if he doesn't find his way back to where he was in the last 23 games last year, it's going to be a problem for him and for the team because they need him to be a better player. So – they do need upgrades at the center position. Oh, we all know that. Uh, is that the upgrade you need? It would really, to me, it would depend upon the price. Because if the price is high, I don't know if I'm, I don't know how keen I am on that one. But again, that's just me. Ryan is live on Twitter Spaces. Ryan, welcome to the Monday Mailbag. Thanks for having me, Bob. How you doing today? I'm doing well. Good to hear. Um, hey, I just wanted to ask a little bit more about a Roslovic situation here. I'm just curious. He doesn't seem like he's the type of player that can really play on those third and fourth lines, those grittier lines, the the guys who go into the boards and battle. He just He's too skilled for that. doesn't seem like he wants to play that way. Um, it, if we were to keep Gons up here and his role as a center is kind of not needed, um, could you see him being traded and someone maybe taking him and using him more as a winger than a center? Because we know how skilled he is with the puck, but just doesn't seem like he's going to be able to play a top one or two center in this league. Well, I think you said a couple of things there. Um, uh, you started off by saying it doesn't seem that he can play that third or fourth line, and then you said it doesn't seem like he wants to play that third or fourth line. And I only bring that up. <laughs> yeah, I bring it up because I, I agree with you. I, look, he shouldn't be playing on the third or fourth line with the skill that he has. He should not. He should be playing first or second line. And maybe he gets frustrated because he's not, but all he has to do is look at the video and he can see why he's not. Because sometimes he lets that skill take over or 
I almost said he thinks he's too skilled, and that's that's not what I mean because he is very skilled. But sometimes you just have to put that aside and you just have to work. You know, you, you can't make uh, a drop pass at the blue line or you, you can't stick handle through three guys. And Sometimes you just have to live to fight another shift or live to fight another day. And, you know, sometimes he gets uh, – he, he tries to do too much and all it does is get him in trouble. He needs to play a simpler game. Um, could you trade him? And I, I think you could trade him. I don't know what you're going to get for him. Um, I don't know. I, I know I said that Brendan Gauntz is playing really well, but I mean, they're two very different styles of centermen. And, um, are you going to be able to flip Jack for a centerman? Like, look, okay. We're talking about Bo Horvat. You could get some kind of a deal where you could, they would take Roslevic and, and something else. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm on board with that. Um, yeah, I agree. You know, I but was actually wondering if maybe a Juracek and Roslovic combination could bring a Bo Horvat in. But do you want to see? But, but here's but no, I don't. I don't want to get rid of Roslovic. Maybe we could. Maybe it could alleviate some of the the cap that we have in him and and bring in a Bo Horvat. Yeah, I don't want to trade Juracek just simply because he's he's big. He's a huge right-handed shot guy, and they're hard to come by. And mm-hmm. You know, they, they don't have that. I'm, to me, David Yerchek, if he continues to develop, is your next Seth Jones, right? And, right? and this team has missed Seth Jones since they traded him. Let's be honest about right. it. You know, they did really well in what they got. They did, they did fantastic with what they got in a bad situation. They got backed into a corner. They fought their way out of the corner. I have no problem with any of that. But on the ice, they have missed what he brings. They've missed his size. Missed that shot, and if David Yurchik develops, he's going to be that next guy. And and if he's not like, if you have to deal him to get something that you need, then you do what you got to do. But if it's not him, then who? Right? Is it going to be Marcus Bjork? But I don't think. Yeah, yeah. That's another thing. You know, Kuhlman's. All right. Here's another guy that he's been playing in college. I haven't seen him play. Is he going to be able to step right in and? Is he going to step right in and be a, a first-pair defenseman? That's the whole thing. Because David Yurchek, right. if he develops like he's supposed to, he's going to be a top-pair defenseman. So, right. Which is probably why they want him for a top-line centerman. Yeah. yeah. Well, yes, absolutely. Well, if I'm Vancouver, you can bet your bottom dollar I'm asking for Yurchek and Johnson. Well, I right. mean, you can start there. That's what I would say. If you called, if I was in Vancouver and, and I got a call and they said, hey, uh, we're looking at this guy. Look, you're in the driver's seat. I would. I'm shooting for the top guys first, and then you got to whittle your way down. So I understand it. I have no problem with it. I just, I just, uh, I don't. I don't know. We'll see how it all shakes out, and if that ever. You know, how many times do we hear about stuff that all oh, this team wants this and this team wants that? And even though it's a good source, is Elliot Friedman, and I, I trust him. He's a great insider. Um, but, mm-hmm. but again, sometimes that stuff. You know, how many times do we hear about that chicken? Now Chickren's going to come back and play, and I haven't heard anything about the Blue Jackets being attached now when they need defensemen a lot. Right. So, anyway, we'll see. Thanks for your time, Bob. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. Uh, if you're live on Twitter Spaces and you'd like to ask a question of me, you can uh, just go ahead and you can uh, request to be a speaker, and I will bring you on, and you can be said speaker just like Paul. Paul, welcome to the Monday Mailbag. Hey, Bob, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. 
Hey, I'm curious about something. It was interesting. I was watching the broadcast for the Montreal game, and they had um, Olivier mic'd up for that one. And it was interesting because he's been busy, obviously, with a few bouts uh, last week or week, week and a half um, fights. But it seemed like that fight was almost like uh, he just kind of skated to the center, center for the faceoff, and it was just like, oh, you ready to go now? Yeah, okay, let's go. It was like just agreed upon it and i don't know if there was a reason for the fight or if it was just because um you know i understand fighting when you know a dirty hit happens and you know you're standing up for your guy something like that but it seems like a lot good amount of them at least the last couple he's had were kind of like agreed or talked about before they ever happened so i'm guess my question if aside from you know sticking up for somebody that got injured or something like that and having a fight that way what's the other reasons that they would have you know just some fight out of nowhere because there are two guys on the ice that that is a big part of their game and so they just expect that it's going to happen at some point and they're trying to pick the point because i believe i believe that he and olivier had a conversation where they kind of said it's sometime tonight this is probably going to happen and then when they went out for that face-off, they kind of just looked at each other and nodded in agreement, okay, here's the time. Because it's just it's it's just what they do. You know, it goes back to, you know, when Jody Shelley played here and Jared Bowl played here, you know, used to have those fights off the face-off, and it was for those reasons. Look, I'm a tough guy. You're a tough guy. We're probably going to fight at some point here. Um, let's figure this out. But that fight in particular, I – I don't remember the last time I was more happy to see a fight than I was to see that fight because Montreal had just scored. There were 2.1 seconds left in the period. They scored. They tied the game. The Blue Jackets' momentum was gone. The crowd was uh, deflated, and you were just about to go into the dressing room. And as a coach, I would have come in there and said, okay, listen, don't worry about it, boys. It's uh, 2-2. We're playing at home, third period. Let's just go out there and find a way to – but the energy level would have been down. All of a sudden, you have that fight, and Matthew Olivier does well in that fight, and the home crowd is now energized once again. And now when you go in the dressing room, you're feeling much better. The situation is the same, but your emotions are different, and you feel better, and then you come out and you – you take it to them in the third period. So um, that's why they did it, because they, they both, that's part of their jobs. They were going to do it at some point. That's the point they chose to do it, and it couldn't have been better timed for the Blue Jackets at all. Okay. That's good to know. All right. Thank yeah, you, Paul. Absolutely. Appreciate it. All right. Oh, always want to help you learn something. And you guys help me learn stuff, too. So it's uh, it's a two-way street. Always a two-way street. You get into those one-way streets, it just doesn't work. That's in life. That's not just here. That's that's in life, too. Irwin, you're next up on the Monday Mailbag. How are you? Uh, pretty good. Good. You know, I saw that Olivier-Jacques fight a little differently because I was sitting there with my nephew, and late in the first period, Jacques dumped Liam Foodie into the Canadiens' bench. And right away, Olivier went out onto the ice. And as soon as Jack, I saw him, he came off. And I said to my nephew, watch this. And we kept watching through the second period. Olivier would go out and Jack, I would come off. And finally, with two seconds left in the period, Jack, I was out there for that face off. Olivier went out there and there was no avoiding the fight. I knew it was coming. And I think that's really what precipitated it. 
Yeah, I forgot about uh, that hit. Now, you, yeah, you're right about that. That's it, that, again. I still thought they were going to, but then there was a reason involved too. So yeah, you're right. Yeah, and so there was that. And what I noticed last night, nobody on that Florida team wanted a piece of Olivier's action because he was looking for it. And Radko Gudis laid a hit on one of our guys uh, in the first period. It was uh, it was down in their end. And it was along the the boards just the, to the uh, left of our bench. And shortly after, there uh, Olivier started getting in his grill. And after that, Gudis really cooled it. I, I didn't see him being his usual idiot self last night. He, he was, and he I I think he is, in my opinion, I think he's notorious for that. He's he loves to be big man on campus when there's no accountability to be had. But as soon as there is, he tends to tamp it down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, another thing I wanted to say was I'm a big fan of two sports teams, obviously the Columbus Blue Jackets, and the other one is the Toronto Blue Jays, and I've been following them since day one in 1977. So I listen to a lot of Canadian sports talk radio, and most of this Bo Horvat stuff you're hearing is being fueled by the talking heads out of Canada. I personally think there's no truth to it, none. But you get guys like Frank Cervelli and uh, Sam Cosentino and Pierre Lebrun and Elliot Friedman. They say something that automatically becomes the gospel. Now, I flipped on Vancouver Sports Radio last week, and it was hilarious that up there in that neck of the woods, they actually believe that any day now, Bo Horvat is coming to Columbus. All they need to do is sign him to an extension to make it happen. And in return, they're going to get Kent Johnson, David Juracek, uh, Carson Kuhlmans, and our number one draft pick in 2023. It, it's that ridiculous. But I just think that the Blue Jackets are much better served to let this young team grow up together. And I think in a couple of years, we're really, truly going to have something. And if we need to add a free agent, then good, let's do it. Yeah, and it's, you know, now the situation that you're in, and I know they're winning games and they're getting points right now, so I don't know, maybe if they keep on doing this, maybe it changes here a little bit. But, you know, it's it's not that the season's lost, but you might as well just go ahead and let it uh, see how it plays out, right? I mean, True. if you make that move right now, or maybe maybe if you do make a move like that, it must be because, it w- to me, it would be because, hey, we got to, we got to get this player before somebody else does. I could understand that. But yeah. on the flip side of it, you know, it, you can just it, – it's working to an extent right now. And as I said earlier, like you start talking to me about a trade that involves sending out David Juracek and Kent Johnson, especially in the same trade. No, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what you're giving me, but it's going to be – it's going to be outstanding. I'll tell you that. I, I- – I think most of the rumors start with player agents. I think they like to start try to start trade rumors. They like to do things to build a market for their client or to try to put ideas in GM's heads. And then if the trade actually comes to fruition, they can sit there and say, I called it. I had the, the inside knowledge on this. I had the connections. But I, I just don't buy a lot of what they say. I thought that's a lot of what happened when uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois asked for his trade. That had to be a situation where his agent went out and leaked to that right away that he had a trade request because I just don't think anybody in our camp would have told that. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, you're right. They're involved in it because their their job is to get the best for their clients, right? And so if right. if that involves stirring it up a little bit to make something happen, then you know it's it's not. Um, it's I want to say it's a little bit shady, but it's 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 part of the job. It's part of the yeah. jobs to be shady. You're getting paid to be shady. 
Right, Irwin? Right. Sometimes. Now, a couple of things. A couple of things I wanted to mention that I've noticed that are different about the Blue Jackets this year that I really like is I think, except for the five-game losing streak, they're handling adversity much, much better. A good example, the Islanders game, they get an early one nothing lead. The Islanders tied at one. Immediately, the Blue Jackets are pressing for the next goal, and shortly thereafter, they get it. And there's been a lot of that this year where the game starts to turn against them a little bit, but instead of not dealing with the adversity and things starting to really unravel, for the most part, they've been able to go out there and find another gear and they've played much better. I thought, obviously, the turning point last night was Corrales' breakaway shorthanded goal. But once they hit that goal, and they knew they were being outplayed, they're suddenly up 3-2, to two, they're in the third period, and by God, they can smell it. And they found another gear for the rest of that game. The, the goals, it was 4-2, then 5-2, and I don't think Florida could believe they were losing. I agree with you, and I, I think that the fact that Corrales gets that goal gave it a little bit more weight, too, because... You talk about a team that is young, and it. I, I was talking about this yesterday. You, you look what Detroit did over the summer with the guys that they went out and they, they signed as free agents or they traded for. However, they, they added a whole bunch of NHL players, right? And right. Th- my point was I was talking to somebody, and I said, you know, you're playing Detroit, and you get to their third line, and, and you're facing a David Perron, and now you look at the Blue Jackets, and, and Trey Fix-Wolanski is the guy that's up. And that's not a knock on Trey. It's, I'm just talking about the disparity in – experience in the National Hockey League, right? So, yeah. and so you get a team like that and they've got a lot of veteran guys on that team now. So when when mistakes are made, they're they're able to calm it down more easily or when you need somebody to step up, then, you know, they've got a lot of candidates for that. On this team, they have a guy like Sean Corrali who's just a guy that has the experience in the league that he does and to be out there playing as hard as he can possibly play on the penalty kill, getting that goal Everything you said is absolutely right. As soon as it was three to two, the whole attitude changed, and I, I just think the fact that it was that it was Sean and it was one of those older, more experienced guys. Not only did he settle it down, but by getting the goal, he settled it down and locked them in all at the same time. Yeah, uh, they just smell blood in the water once they hit that yeah, goal. They did. They yeah. did, and, it, and that's something that. With this team, I, I think that's that might have been the first time I've seen it all year, quite honestly. I mean, th- it was different. To me, it was different because I know they've won games, but that, yeah, it was 3-2 to two against a team that still has a lot of offense, and there was a lot of time on the clock there too. But yeah, it, it, but it was different. I, the, the whole feeling, as you said, everything changed right then and there. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention is how much better we are in the face-off circle this year. We're currently at 50.9%. And when you consider that with the season ended in 2021, that shortened COVID season, I think we were about 43, 44%. We were awful. But there's been a lot of good improvement this year. Jack Roslovic's at 51%. Corrales having a good year. Uh, you've had uh, Jenner's having another good year. You've had Gons just come up, and, he, and he's playing really well. And I attribute it to a couple of things. Corrali came in and he played four years with uh, Patrice Bergeron in Boston, who might be the best in the business in the face-off circle, and I'm sure he learned a lot from him that he's passing on to his teammates. But in the case of Brandon Gauntz, he's never been good until all of a sudden. And I attribute a lot of that to Mark Letestu in Cleveland because when he was here in Columbus, he was outstanding in the face-off circle, and we were never better when we had him and we had Ryan Johansson and we had Manny Malhorta. 
I just know that that guy is having a big effect up there in Cleveland on our center prospects. And I think that's something that's probably going overlooked or maybe underappreciated. But if you've ever heard Mark Letestu speak, and I know you have, but I'm saying this for the benefit of the listeners, you can tell he's a smart guy. Oh, uh, he's he's extremely smart. He, I, I knew uh, I knew he was never going to work alongside me as a color commentator because he's too smart. He's got to be in coaching <laughs> because because he just um, he he communicates really really well and he is very knowledgeable and I think that's a good point that you bring up and I I'm going to ask Brendan about that I'm going to ask him uh, you know if uh, if Mark worked with him on that but you are right I mean his Brendan Gantz has been really good in the faceoffs and that's why he's gotten a lot of key draws from Brad Larson and uh, your defensive zone guys it's always either Corrali or Jenner and and they're both solid and. And you're right, Roslovic has uh, been much improved in the face-off circle this year. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, as they say, first battle of every shift, right? Yeah, well, that's that's the part of Cole Sillinger's game that's lacking. He's not very good in the circle, and, and he, he would benefit from a lot of some time anyway with Mark Letestu, I think. And probably the only time they really see each other is during training camp. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Uh, I think you're right about that. Well, I know you're right about that because Mark's up there and doing all that work up there, and um, nah, maybe they'll get some time together. Who knows? We'll see how all this stuff shakes out uh, between now and the end of the year. But, Erwin, great observations as usual, my friend. Thank you. Hey, always great talking to you. All right, uh, let me go back to Twitter here for one. CBJ fan says, random question. In the locker room, do the players pick their own stall, or are they randomly assigned the stall at the start of the year? They do not pick it. Um, usually the coach picks it. Uh, maybe the equipment guys, it, it all depends, but usually, usually it's mapped out where there's guy, you know, maybe you want a rookie sitting next to a veteran, uh, just to, to learn from his habits and the way he carries himself and all that stuff. So, uh, it is planned out for them. They'll walk in and find where their place is. Now that's not all of them. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that. Um, Zach Wierenski has been in the, in the same spot for years. He's going to be there. Jake Voracek. He's going to be in the same spot. The, the veteran guys who have it staked out, they're going to get their spots, but the other guys will be filled in around them, um, usually by the coaching staff. They usually decide who they want to be where, and then you adjust as the year goes on based on who's here, who's not here, and all that stuff. So that is the answer to that question. Um, all right. Well, I, I think we've covered it all. Pretty sure we've covered it all today. If you've been listening on Twitter Spaces, I hope it sounded better. I've uh, tried to make some adjustments, uh, getting with the, a buddy of mine down with the Tampa Bay Lightning who's uh, done a little bit more of the Twitter Spaces stuff uh, than I have and trying to give it a better sound. So I hope it sounded better for you on Twitter Spaces today. Uh, you guys sounded great to me. Thanks for all your questions, whether you asked them live, whether you sent them to me on Twitter at Bobby Mac Sports, or whether you emailed me, Mac at BlueJackets.com. Blue Jackets are right back at it against the Montreal Canadiens on Wednesday night. Blue Jackets will wear their brand-new reverse retro jerseys. It's a throwback to the original third jersey from back in 2003. And uh, because it's a throwback jersey, we're going to have a throwback night for you coming up on Wednesday night. It'll be a lot of fun at Nationwide Arena. The puck will drop at 7 o'clock against Montreal. Pre-game coverage will begin at 6.30 on the Blue Jackets radio network and on Bally Sports Ohio. It's the day before Thanksgiving. 
Uh, you probably have the next day off, I would think most of, if not all of you, will have the next day off. So come out, have fun. Biggest party night of the year, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I, that is, I don't know if that's official still, but uh, I think it is. It is on this show. Biggest party night of the year is uh, – on Wednesday night when the Blue Jackets take on the Montreal Canadiens. So come out and get your party started at 7 o'clock with the Blue Jackets and the Canadiens. Oh, by the way, uh, the Blue Jackets have some great Black Friday deals going on all week long to find out how you can get signed up to get notified of these great deals on tickets and merchandise and all that stuff. Just go to bluejackets.com. You can find out about that. You know, nothing is just one day anymore, Right. Um, Black Friday is now a week long. Um, election day is a month long. Uh, Thanksgiving, I still think, is just getting one day. I, I think it's still limited to just the one day. So, anyhow, uh, you can't win them all, as they say. But the Blue Jackets uh, coming off a big win last night as they get ready to go at home once again on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Again, thank you for being part of the show today. Thanks for all the great questions in the breakdowns, that's what I like about you guys. You, you don't just ask the questions. I mean, you, you get into it. Knowledgeable. Knowledgeable fans. Knowledgeable fans are the best fans, right? Now, well, in most cases. <laughs> that's going to do it for this Monday Mailbag edition of CBJ in 30. Until next time, I'm Bob McElligot saying so long.